Thanks, Susie. Please, would you keep that passage open in uh, Matthew's Gospel, so page 976, Matthew 11. We're going back on this Sunday morning and next Sunday morning to our default Gospel of the moment, which is Matthew's Gospel. Um, that's where we are. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you will help us as we come to your word. Father, please, would you give us a clarity of thinking and, Father obedience to match what we hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sooner or later, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will let you down. Jesus will let you down. Some of you thinking, you can't say that because Jesus never lets anybody down. He is always faithful. He is true. He's the first and the last, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the reality is the time will come when your expectations for your life as a follower of Jesus and the reality of your life will diverge. You may have recently come to faith in Jesus, or it may be a long time ago, and you can, if it's a long time ago, you remember how you heard about Jesus came to bring life and life to the full. And you started to think about what that would mean, and you had this picture perhaps in your mind, very unclear, but nevertheless, a real sense that to come to Jesus and give your life to Him would mean that your life became what God meant it to be. And you would live with purpose and meaning and you would live a life that would count because you belong to Jesus Christ and Jesus has poured his spirit into your life. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that it doesn't always work out like that. Those expectations that you have had for your life of what it would mean have sometimes been crushed by tragedy, by disappointment, by that sense of mediocrity, by the questions that you have, what is my life about? Is this it? Jesus said that he came to bring life and life to the full. But as you leave, some of you, after morning tea, and you've put your professional Christian smile on, and when people have asked you, how are you, you said, fine. You walk into your life as it really is and it doesn't feel like life to the full. The reality is that at some point or other, Jesus will disappoint us. You may not put it like that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you would shudder to use that kind of language because we're so good at the pious expressions and hiding behind the platitudes that we use. And sometimes deep down inside, we're breaking apart. We're followers of Jesus. But the reality of our experience is that we feel as if we've been let down. And nobody is immune 
from this. However long a Christian you've been, however mature your faith, whatever position in Christian ministry that you have reached, nobody is immune from this. Not church wardens, not rectors, nobody. Take John the Baptist in this reading in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist is this extraordinary figure. He appears in chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel. And he bursts like a whirlwind on the religious and political scene. And he causes an absolute stir because he announces that God is about to show up and bring in the kingdom. And that kingdom is going to be brought in as God shows up by one who is to come. And to use the language of John, this coming one will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's not very Willoughby language. But I think you get a sense of the enormity of that. This is earth-shattering stuff. This is God turning up and turning the world right way up where injustice will be dealt with, where immorality will be made answerable and changed. People will be called to account and the world will be a different place characterized by justice and love and peace. That's the message that John announces. And he is utterly fearless. It doesn't matter whether it's the religious leaders who carry the power from Jerusalem, or even Herod himself, who is the king, known for his immorality and his utter ruthlessness to anybody who stands in his way. And John doesn't hesitate he launches into the religious power people and tells them what God thinks about them and calls them to face up to judgment. He even stands up to Herod and accuses him of adultery because he's taken his brother's wife. Utterly fearless, he speaks of God and he speaks what God is saying and everybody recognizes there is something extraordinary about John the Baptist so have a look at the text would you in verse 7 Jesus says to the crowd when you went out into the wilderness to see John why did you go you didn't go for the scenery did you it's the wilderness and you didn't go because John was telling you all the things you wanted to hear. He wasn't pronouncing God's blessing on you as you are. He wasn't like a reed that's blown in the wind. And you didn't go because he was sophisticated. Smart guy. Exquisitely designed suits. Expensive designer shirts. 
Chapter 3, which talks about John's clothing, says he was wearing clothes made of camel. In case you're not familiar with that, that was not on the designer list in the first century. You didn't go out, Jesus says, because you wanted to experience sophistication. So why did you go out to hear John give this uncompromising message that for many of you was so disturbing? Why did you go? Because Jesus says, you recognize there was something about John. There was a spiritual power about him. You recognize that when he spoke, he spoke with an authority and a power. He was a prophet. That's why he went. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, nobody who's ever lived was greater than John the Baptist. Nobody. You trail through the Old Testament and Jesus says nobody was greater than John the Baptist. Spiritual giant. Fearless. Utterly committed to the task he believes God has given him. I'm willing to risk his life for it. You wouldn't expect a man like John the Baptist to falter, would you? But he does. He does. At the opening of chapter 11 in verse 2, John hears what Jesus has been doing. I take it that includes what he's been saying as well. And he sends a message to Jesus through his disciples. It's there in verse 3. The message to Jesus is, Jesus, are you the one? The one who is to come? Or should we look for somebody else? Are you the one? Did I get this right, Jesus? When I was speaking about the coming of the kingdom and the one who is to come, and when, Jesus, you were baptized and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove on you, did I get this wrong? Are you the one? See, Jesus is a disappointment to John the Baptist. Notice we're told at the beginning of chapter 11 that John the Baptist is in prison. The person who's put him in prison is Herod, who epitomizes all that is immoral and cruel and unjust in first century Israel. And remember the message that John has been bringing. God is about to come, and the one who is to come, who will bring in the kingdom and the presence of God, will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will change everything. The coming of the kingdom means the end of injustice, the end of people like Herod and their power. So where is it, Jesus? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for somebody else? 
If you came to bring in the kingdom, Jesus, why am I in prison? And why have, have I been hearing some of the things that I've been hearing about what you're saying? Back in chapter 10, Jesus has been talking about how his followers are going to be opposed. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. I'm even going to turn families against each other who will divide over me. You will be thrown into prison. Are you the one who is to come, Jesus? Or should we look for somebody else? For us, too, for followers of Jesus, the time will come. And some of you can look back and experience and recount experiences where it's already happened, where the reality of your life, the reality, is that you feel that you've been let down. Life hasn't worked out the way you'd hoped or expected as a follower of Jesus Christ. Your life hasn't measured up to what you expected it to be. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? I want you to notice what Jesus says. First of all, there's an encouragement to John. There it is in verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go back and tell John to look at the signs. Those are demonstrations of the presence of the kingdom. Lives are being changed. They're being put back together again. And the message of hope, that is the good news, that is the gospel, is being preached to people who have no power and no status who feel themselves to be excluded, who are not good enough to go for God in their own eyes or the eyes of their culture. The good news has been preached. Go back and encourage John. Do you notice, though, there is nothing, nothing in what Jesus says here about overthrowing injustice, cruelty, or any of those other things. In other words, John, I want you to be encouraged. Look at the signs. Cheer up. But there's no guarantee that you're going to get out of prison. No guarantee. The kingdom has broken in. The future has made itself known, in part. Glimpses of what life will be like in the new creation, restored lives, message of hope, but not the overthrow of injustice and suffering just yet. And there are no guarantees for us either. No guarantees that life won't go pear-shaped in one way or other. No guarantees that we won't face real struggles in following Jesus. No guarantees that we won't face a conflict between 
our hopes for our own life and Jesus' call on our lives. But like John the Baptist, remember the signs of the kingdom. Lives have been changed. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the process of being changed. In fact, you have already been changed because you've been forgiven. You've been adopted into the kingdom of Jesus. God is now your father. You are his child, and he has made his presence in your life by his spirit. You may not experience miraculous healing, although you may. you will experience manifestations of the kingdom. Don't forget them. An encouragement for John, an encouragement therefore for us, a challenge too. The challenge is that the kingdom has broken in. It is both good news and it is also very disturbing news. So you notice what Jesus says in verse 12, Verse 13, all the prophets and the law. So the people in the past, God's prophets in the past, and the Old Testament, if you like, prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. What Jesus is saying here is that John himself, although he's in prison, is himself a demonstration of the fact that the kingdom has come because he is the Elijah who was to come. That is the figure who would announce the coming of Jesus, the one who would bring in the kingdom. Isn't that remarkable? John sends out a question. Are you the one who is to come because he's in prison? Jesus says to the crowd, I want you to look at John the Baptist, even though he's in prison and it looks as if Herod has won and the kingdom makes no difference. John is the sign of the kingdom. He's the Elijah to come. And then there's an encouragement for all followers of Jesus. All followers of Jesus. Verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, that means everybody, okay? Got that? I tell you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He is the greatest. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than he. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, you may feel that your life has reached a level of mediocrity and it's insignificant, You may have finally come to terms with the fact that nobody's ever going to write a a biography of your life. You're not even going to get your 15 minutes of fame. But Jesus says, if you're in the kingdom, you are great. In fact, you are greater than John the Baptist. We're not very good at that in Australia, are we? I have to tell you, we're even worse in England. Um, Americans may drink this for breakfast. We don't. We may think it, but we don't say it. You know, to say, I'm great. Well, Jesus says you're great. You're greater than John the Baptist because you're in the kingdom. You see, 
John is the last voice of the old era. And John, that final voice of the old era, is speaking into the new era that comes with Jesus, which is the breaking in of the kingdom. And he's speaking from the past, if you like, into the future. But in Jesus, the future has come, and we stand on the other side of that, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit. And so what John spoke of as future is our present reality. And that means whatever your life is like, however insignificant you may feel, however much you may struggle, however much you may feel that your Christian life is a disappointment, Jesus says, you're great. Your life counts. That's very hard for some of us to hear, isn't it? Because it doesn't feel like that. Which is why we need a passage like this. It's why we need to hear Jesus saying, you are greater. Even those of you who may not rise to any level of prominence in the kingdom, as far as people are concerned, you're greater than the greatest from the Old Testament. Isn't that something? So don't give up. Don't give up. Verse 6, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on my account. It's possible to stumble over Jesus. It's possible to be disappointed by Jesus. Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. Some point in your Christian life, you will feel that Jesus has let you down. You may dress it up in all kinds of pious platitudes, but that will be the reality of how you feel. I want to encourage you to be honest about that. Be honest. If John the Baptist that great figure at the climax of the Old Testament era could experience disappointment over Jesus. <laughs> You're allowed to. You're allowed to. Be honest. But embrace to the reality the kingdom has come in Jesus. It has broken in. We have already experienced a foretaste of the future. You have personally. The Holy Spirit has come into your life. You've been given your true life. To use the language of the New Testament, you've been brought from death to life. I take it that's a good thing. Being dead is not a good thing. Being alive is. And when you become a follower of Jesus, you become alive. You are given and begin to experience the life that God planned for you. And one day, you'll begin to experience in ever-increasing measure in the new creation. But it's already begun. 
So believe that. Live it. Verse 15 at the end of this section. Whoever has ears, let him hear. I take it that's everybody. Even if you're slightly hard of hearing and you have some kind of electronic gadget, Jesus is just saying, this is for everybody. We need to listen to the voice of Jesus because if we listen to the voice of ourselves, we will often despair. We'll lose hope. We need to hear the voice of Jesus because otherwise we'll just listen to the voices all around us in our world saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are missing out on real life. Jesus says you're great because you're in the kingdom. Because the kingdom has broken in truly and really. Let's pray. Let's have a moment to be quiet. And, and I want to encourage you, pray whatever you like, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, whatever you feel is the right response to his word. But maybe for some of you, maybe this is a good time to be honest before God and admit for all the ways you may have covered this up, admit Lord Jesus, I've actually been disappointed in you and the way you've handled my life. I gave my life to you. I made that decision to follow you. And to be honest, Jesus, I've been disappointed with some of the things you've done with it and allowed to happen. Admit it. And then ask. Ask for a spiritual reboot to your life. New encouragement. New vigor. New enthusiasm. A new perspective, or rather a renewed perspective of who you are in Jesus. Those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. Father, please would you fill our hearts with your spirit, spirit of love and power. May we love you with ever-increasing energy and may we rejoice in the new life that you have given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And may we go out into our communities and into our workplace and into our families and into our friends, amongst our friends. And Father, may we demonstrate something of the extraordinary new life that you've given to us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.